doing well. Fantastic. Who's not doing well? <laughs> Fantastic. It's great to be here this week. Uh, I'm sure you all missed me last week. Did anyone miss me last week? Were you away past that? Yes, I was away last week. And uh, it's great to be back. Um, and me and Diane and Jonathan uh, went up to John and cursed his wedding with uh, Rose and Manny, one to others. We had a great time uh, in the north of Scotland. And we were going out for a walk across the hill country of northeast Scotland in Aberdeenshire. And went over this mountain, this hill, and in the distance was this little, beautiful, secluded beach. It was wonderful. And I said to Jane, because we stayed with George and Jane, Jack and the family, I said, how do we get down there? I said, well, there's a path down. And I thought, a path down. I thought it was a, a path down. But what it was, was a little minute track down. The grass was wet, the grass was slippery, and it was a sheer drop either side. And I'm walking down this path, and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, help me. And after a few stumbles and falls, we managed to eventually get down to the beach, and it was great. But you know, that trek down was very treacherous. It was very intense. You couldn't be distracted. You couldn't be uh, looking at other people. You had to be focused on every single step that you took. The reason why I'm saying this this morning is because I believe that God has called us as a church, as a community in this nation today, to tread upon the heights. See, we're called to go higher. We're called to tread on the high places of God. But the thing is, when you get into the high places of God, you cannot dilly and dally around. That's Hebrew. Not really. See, when you're on the field, you don't have to have much care or attention about where you put your feet, because you're in the field. When you're walking upon the heights, you cannot walk the same way as you used to walk in the field, because you're in danger of slipping. The Bible says, my first slide, my first slide, seamless. Thank you, Rose. Excellent. <laughs> the Bible says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer of a, like the feet of a deer that enables me to tread upon the heights. We are not called for valley living, my friends. We're called to dwell on the heights. God says to Moses, Exodus 24, 14, come up the mountain, Moses. Come up the mountain. And God is calling us today to leave the shallows, to leave the valleys, and to tread upon the heights. Because what happens in the heights, you get an encounter with the living God on the heights. You meet with God in the way, you never meet with God in the valley on the heights. God could have come down from Sinai into the valleys and met with Moses, but God said to Moses, it's time to climb the mountain. It's time to get out of the valley living, valley mentality, and to walk upon the heights. How's your life today? Are you settling for the valley? Uh, are you feeling that call to the heights? See, Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget what was behind. I forget about the past, and I press on to the high call of God upon my life. God's got a high call upon your life, my friend, today. God never intended you to live in the shallows, live in the valleys. 
has called you to press on into the heights, to get a glimpse of God's glory, to get a glimpse of his power, get a glimpse of his presence that will transform you and me. You see, when we walk through the valley, it's easy. But when we walk on the heights, like this little dear fellow here, you are so close to a fall. See, and the higher God calls us, the greater responsibility we have. The greater demands upon our lives to live godly and holy ways. See, God loves us as we are. And if you want to stay in the valley, that's fine. If you want to stay living half life, that's okay with God, but since stay, He's calling us to go deeper and to go further into His purposes. And when we tread upon the heights, there's a narrowing down of the path that God wants to take us on. And the things you used to be able to get away with, you can't get away with anymore. The attitudes, the conversations, the, the behaviors that you used to get away with, God says, enough is enough. It's time to live differently. There was a man in the Bible in Genesis chapter 5. He was probably the, the holiest man on planet Earth at the time. His name was Enoch. He was a man who the Bible says walked he walked with God. There was an intimacy in that walk. He knew the heart of God. He knew the voice of God. There was an integrity in that walk. That what he was on the inside was matched by what he was on the outside. What he was on the outside was matched by what he was on the inside. Wherever you cut him, he was the same. He was a man who lived passionately after God. And then there was an intentionality. He knew where he was going. He set his purpose and made his commitment to his cause. And because he lived like that, the Bible says that God stooped down and took him by the hand and took him home. But the word Enoch means in Hebrew to be narrowed, to narrow down. He knew what it was to be self-disciplined. He knew what it was to shed himself for the thing that would hinder and hold him back. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us that we may run this race, that we may walk this walk, we may tread upon the heights. It's time to tread the heights. I sense God is calling us to a greater level of intimacy with him, a greater revelation of who he is in our lives. You know, we meet together as a prayer team across South Yorkshire, and we pray for two things. We pray for a revival in the church and an awakening in the nation. Revival does not mean happy, clappy times. Revival means our lives are molded and shaped and challenged and renewed by his presence. That we become Christ-like, that our lives are alive to his presence. We don't mess around with sin. We don't mess around with gossip. We live our lives passionately sold out for him. 
We're praying for revival in our churches, a revival in my heart. That Christ will be so real to me that my life is transformed. In the Hebridean outpouring in the 1960s, it was said by Reverend Owen Murphy these words, this is revival. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgment of God should fall. When sinners are overawed by the presence of God, they tremble in the streets and cry out for his mercy. When without special meetings or sensational advertising, the Holy Spirit sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction. When every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, every home a sanctuary, and when people walk softly before God. You cannot live as you used to live if you want to tread the heights of God's presence. There's a demand upon our lives to live the right way. Our next slide, please, Rose. The quality of our worship the quality of our service depends entirely upon our perception of the God that we serve. How we view God is important because it determines and reflects on the kind of worship we have and the kind of life that we live. Do you understand that? If your God is small and insignificant, then your worship is irrelevant. It's how you view God that will determine how you worship and how you live. I was listening to Radio 4 last year, and there was a priest on the radio doing an interview with John Humphreys, I think he was. And most priests are great, but this one priest was amazing. <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. As I listened to this priest speaking on the radio, he said, I do not see God as a holy, awesome, fearful God, but rather as a gentle, loving grandmother. She has no real authority over the church, over, the fam over her family, but she keeps the whole family together because of her love for us and our love for her. Beautiful, wasn't it? I remember John Herbert saying, what? You honestly believe that? Even the pagans think this is rubbish. You know, the God that we serve is so much more than a gentle, loving grandmother. That God is the God of the Bible, the God of, whose name is Yahweh. He's the great I Am. He's the eternal God. He's the unchanging one. He's the one who formed the universe. I believe it. But the thing is, a kind of grandmother God... <laughs> would never compel mankind to excel, never compel mankind to strive valiantly against all odds, or to willingly sacrifice themselves for their own desires, to pursue righteousness or to perfect holiness. It's only in the revelation of who God really is that our lives are molded and shaped into his image. It's only the sacrificial nature of God that causes us to change inside. A famous man called Tozer wrote this great quote, and I've just quoted him. He says this, The church 
has surrendered her once lofty concept of God. The church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshipping men. How holy is your God? Now, I believe God is called in the Bible God Almighty. In most churches and sometimes in our own lives, we treat God as God Almighty. He's our mate. He's our buddy. He's our pal. And he is, isn't he? At the same time, he's also God Almighty. And he is my friend. And he loves me, and he cares about me, and supports me. But at the same time, he is God Almighty. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Eternal One. And whilst you can mess your mates around, <laughs> I wouldn't advise for one second that you mess with the Almighty. Though he's loving, though he's compassionate, he's also fearsome and terrible. Terrible. Our next slide. See, as a church, we can emphasize a picture of the love of God so much and the grace of God so much to the detriment of his holiness and his justice. God is love. Hotheos agape estin. That's what he is. But it's also holy. It says in Exodus 15, verse 11, Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? This God we serve is not just our mate or our pal. He is the God of the universe. He's awesome in resplendent holiness. A man called Rudolf Otto, a famous German scholar, in his book, The Idea of the Holy, says this. There are three key concepts behind the distinctiveness of God. Number one, his absolute unapproachability. <laughs> you can't get near God. He lives in unapproachable light. He burns with intense fire. You can't get near him. Number two, his absolute overpoweringness. He is so powerful, so awesome, so strong. You can't get near him. And also, also thirdly, his awful A-W-E-F-U-L, majesty. He is full of awe. And if we have a God that's not an awesome, awful God, then our worship becomes just singing songs. When we get a glimpse of who he is, everything changes. See, God is glorious in his majestic holiness. He's a raging, burning, consuming fire. This is our God. He's a raging, burning, consuming fire. And as such, we need to work, we need to walk wisely before him. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, the seraphim cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the intensity of his holiness. He burns with holiness. This is nature. Carl and Leach, the famous Hebrew scholars, say this, God 
is in himself the Holy One. He is the separated one. He is beyond and above, above, beyond and above the world. True light, spotless purity, the perfect one. His glory is manifested in his holiness. See, when we get a glimpse of that glory of God, when we get a glimpse of that majesty of God, what is our reaction? We sense an unworthiness. We sense an insignificance. We sense a smallness. The primary response to God's majestic holiness in humanity is wonder. It's awe. It's even dread. Do you dread the Lord? <laughs> the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In the world, also in the church, there could be a real lack of the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 12 verse 8 says this, Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You can mess with me you can mess with your boss, you can mess with your partner, you can mess with your parents, but do not mess with the living God. Do not compromise on your lifestyle or your conversation or your attitude. Be completely set apart to live holy, dynamic lives for him. God will not always persevere with us. time, my friends, when judgment will come upon the Christians and the non-Christians. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for our actions, our thoughts, our words and our deeds. We're covered by grace, but that does not mean to say God will not bring us to account for every word, every thought, and every action that we say. See, the fear of God is not a cringing fear that terrifies us. It's a, it's a reverence, it's an awe, it's a deep respect and honour for the very nature of God and his commands and his attributes in our lives. See, I love to speak about grace. You've known me for a few months now, a bit longer, and you know that grace is what I'm about. I, I just love the whole grace of God. But the extravagance of God's grace is only fully displayed in the light of his awesome holiness and his intense righteousness. We only get to understand how gracious he is to us when we see how far we have fallen from his favour. How far we have fallen beyond his heart. He has set the standard so high that we cannot possibly reach it. We are, by nature, objects of God's wrath. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, we who are by nature deserving of death, yet because of his great love for us, has lavished upon us. I mean, who, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
for it's by grace you've been saved. But grace is free, my friends, today. But grace is not cheap. It costs Christ everything to get you into his presence. It's going to cost you everything to stay there. You can't live as you please, do what you like. You're called to surrender everything to Christ and he will conform and transform our characters into his image. We cannot play fast and loose with God. We can't smile on a Sunday and sing songs or on a Monday backstab, be negative, be critical of others. A man called R.C. Sproul in his book, The Holiness of God, said this, God's grace is not infinite. God is infinite. And God is gracious. We experience the grace of an infinite God, but God's grace is not infinite. God sets limits to his patience and forbearance, and he warns us over and over again that someday the axe will fall and his judgment will be poured out. Grace of God extends to you and me today, but there will come a time when, if you continue to play fast and loose with God, the act will fall and judgment will come upon our hearts. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says this It is a fearful thing, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living. Are you in danger today, my friend, of living in a way that could bring about the fear and the judgment of God in your life? The next slide, please, Rose. The Bible says, Our God is a consuming fire. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy presence? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Are your hands clean this morning? Is your heart pure? If you've got your Bibles, want to just turn briefly to Isaiah 33, verses 14 to 17. Isaiah 33, verses 14 to 17. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the godless. Hervers can dwell with a consuming fire. Hervers can dwell with the everlasting burning. Those who walk righteously and speak what is right, who reject gain from extortion, extortion and keep their hands from accepting bribes, who stop their ears against plots, of murder and shut their eyes against contemplating evil. They are the ones who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the mountain fortress. Their bread will be supplied and their water will not fail them. Verse 17, get this. Then your eyes will see the king in his beauty and the land, and you'll view a land that stretches Sinners in Zion will tremble. These were part of the community of faith who came to the services, they sang the songs, they prayed the prayers. But even though they were part of a faithful community, they were faithless. They were unfaithful. 
Does God approve of your lifestyle? Does he approve of the way you speak, the way you talk? See, God knows everything today about you and me. It is a wonder that he loves us, despite the fact he knows everything about us that he does. He's chosen to set his affection upon you and me. He's chosen to love us. But the Bible says nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can fool me, you can fool your friends, but you cannot fool God. Every spoken word, every negative thought, every selfish act, every internet site you've been on, every chat room you've been in, every late night movie you've watched, God sees it all. You know, we can be so godly for so many days and hours of our week. We just have one little area of weakness Song the song says, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. Because the vineyard is in blossom. Let me tell you this morning, when the vineyard starts to bloom, when fruit comes, when growth comes, it's at that moment when the foxes appear. To prevent you from enjoying the fruit of your labor and the blessing of God. I used to collect records, 45 singles. Remember those before CDs? And I had a favourite record, it was uh, by um, Sister Sledge, great track, 1974. And uh, I played it every day for weeks and weeks. And then one day, I scratched it. Who's ever scratched a record here? And when you scratch a record, it just goes, it won't play. You know, our lives can be so godly, yet the one scratch upon our hearts can ruin everything. And if you let that one scratch ruin everything, then you're ruined. But God is able to completely remaster you and make you new if you commit your life. There's a great prayer that's used by our Anglican friends in the Church of England. It says, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open and all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. When we come to him and say, God, I need your help. Cleanse me, clean me, restore me. He comes running to that prayer. Our final slide this morning as we come to a conclusion. 1 Peter 1.16 says this, Be ye holy, as I am holy, says the Lord. There's some stuff we have to leave behind if we're going to go on a journey in God. You cannot do what you used to do if you want to tread upon the heights. You've got to leave the baggage behind. 
Duncan Campbell, the famous revivalist, said this, there will be no great revival until the people of God are deeply convicted of their need for holiness. The Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Are you holy today? What does the word holy mean? In Greek, it's hagios. It means to be set aside. To be set aside for sacred use. If you come to my house for a meal, you'll get the special cookery and the special crockery. It's been set aside for special use. But if you live there like Manny and Rose, you just get the normal stuff. Because the stuff has been set aside for sacred use. Set aside for special use. There's no difference between the, the one cup or another cup, apart from the fact it's been set aside for special use. And God has set you aside for special use. You're not meant to be used for the things of this world. You're meant to be used for the things of God. You're no longer your own person. You're no longer your own boss. You've come under the Lordship of Christ, and to Him you should live. You need to leave the past behind and be set aside for sacred use. Who are you living for today? Are you living for yourself? Or are you living for Jesus? In closing, I want to just look at one verse, Haggai chapter 1, verse 7. Haggai chapter 1, verse 7. It says this, Consider your ways. The message translation says, Take a good Hard look at your life. Think it over. We cannot live the same way as we used to live. We cannot live the same way as the world. We want to tread upon the heights of God and to see Him in His beauty and see a land that far stretches over the horizon. See, the change, my friend, is not external. It's internal. Holiness is not something that we adopt from the outside. Holiness is something that comes up from within us. The difference is an inward change of character expressed in an outward change of conduct. It's an inward change of character that is expressed in an outward change of conduct. See, if we are selfish and arrogant, gossips and backbiters in the pub and nothing changed on the inside and we're the same person in the church. God wants to transform us from the inside out. And how are we transformed? Moses was transformed because he met the God of the universe face to face. As he beheld the beauty of Yahweh upon Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, his character, his nature, his face was changed. And as we gaze upon Jesus, as we look at Jesus today, he will transform us from the inside out. It's not about how much effort you put in, it's about how much you gaze upon his face. John says, dear friends, now we are the children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him 
as he is. So when we see him as he is, we change on the inside. It's about the intensity and the intimacy of our gaze that causes us to be molded and shaped into the person that he wants us to be. We sing a song in the Salvation Army years ago, and this is the chorus, to be like Jesus, this hope possesses me in every thought and deed. This is my aim and my creed, to be like Jesus. To be transformed depends on our vision, to gaze upon him in all his glory. And secondly, we need to be transformed by surrender. Holiness is not measured by how hard you try to be a good person. It's measured by the depth of your surrender to God. I'm giving up my life. I'm giving up my pride, my self-importance. giving up my reputation to become nothing so that Christ can be seen in us. You want to be holy? Don't try. Give up. Let it go. Surrender your agenda. Lay down your attitude, your problems, everything, lay it all down to God, just remould the image of Christ into my life. May Christ, as Paul says, be fully formed in me. Should we stand to our feet? Thank you for your patience this morning. It's time to leave the valley behind. It's time to climb the mountain. It's time to count the cost and to make the sacrifice. It's time to get a fresh vision of the holiness of God and to surrender everything we are into his home. Lord, we thank you for this message this morning. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the worship this morning. And we pray, oh God, today, you will stir our hearts so violently that we will pursue the high calling of God over our lives. We won't settle or compromise for low-level living when you call us to the heights. Lord, help us to lift our eyes off ourselves and to get a fresh glimpse, a fresh vision of who you are and who can be in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. See you this afternoon.